song Not only NYC, I'm big rich, big So after this flow, praise is to the greatest when all right, all right, all right. We're here. I am Liam McCabe. I'm your host with Bay Originals. And we have a special guest today. We're here with my good friend, Mark Skuskevich, who just finished a long, winding campaign for the Assembly. And he had a big announcement that he made today. And he's here uh, on this show to talk about it. Um, how you doing, Mark? I'm doing okay. Obviously, I would have liked to have been the victor in this long, hard-fought battle, but unfortunately, uh, as it seems right now, that doesn't seem to be the case. So, so you put an announcement on uh, social media that you uh, have basically conceded this race, but you 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 did point out that all the votes have not necessarily been cast, but it is really a, a very uh, uphill battle at this point. You'd have to win almost 95% of the remaining uh, ballots that are out there, correct? Yeah, and there's still the possibility that even if I don't win at the end of the ballot, there's a possibility for a recount if it gets to, you know, around 200 votes or less. So that's more likely the scenario, and then we'll see if any of the other ballots were invalid or whatever the case may be. But as of now, I'm behind, and it's unlikely. So um, I put out the concession speech, and it also, in the concession speech, it brought attention to some of the ideas that I had out there and I basically said from the beginning when I created my website markforny.com I outlined in-depth details about all the ideas that I have that I haven't seen members of the Republican or the Democratic Party mention and I think that they're good ideas for the sake of the community and I think they're nonpartisan ideas that Democrats could get behind so I'm hoping that with the attention that I got that People will look into those ideas like the bank overdraft fees and life skills courses for education, the after-school video game program, uh, uh, municipal bonds to fund affordable housing. You know, all the details are there on my website, markfriendly.com. It's not, you know, people could steal ideas all the time. In this case, I welcome the idea of people stealing my ideas because I did this because I wanted to help the community. And whether I get credit for it or not is not important as long as the community gets, you know, the help that it desperately needs, especially during crazy times like this where a lot of businesses are failing and worried about the economy tanking, especially with, uh, you know, the left leaning so far towards a socialist agenda that it's uh, it's scary. And I think, uh, you know, ideas on how to rebuild are important now and, and you know, me putting my ideas out there were important. Was important. So, you know, I I think that's great. You know, you really have uh, sort of an upbeat um, uh, uh, vibe to you today. You know, and I know it's very difficult uh, to lose. I've lost an election. Now, again, it hasn't. You haven't uh, had the final result yet, but and it could get very closer. If, like I said, if it drops within two hundred. Uh, votes, that would be half of 1%. This was over 40,000 votes. Then there would be a manual recount of every vote. And again, th then this, uh, this could, uh, this could change. But it looks like it's just a squeaker that you may have fall short of. But you know. Yeah, and a concession speech does, doesn't necessarily, isn't a legal term like, you know, I gave up and it's just really a formality at this point. I mean, the, once the election results are certified, if by some miracle i do get 95 percent of the remaining ballots i would still end up being the winner but it's just a you know form formality at this point it doesn't look likely so just, yeah 
but you know, you you do. You have a great. There's a great vibe about you. You've got a great attitude with all of this. Um, you're very upbeat, and you know, just to hear you talk about putting your ideas out there and continuing to uh, push for the things you care about, regardless of whether you won or not. Uh, maybe you'll you'll think about running in the future. But that's really a great attitude. That's really one of the reasons I think uh, you did so well and resonated with a lot of everyday people is because you, you sort of talked in their terms. You didn't really seem to have an agenda. A lot of what you talked about, as you had mentioned, is sort of nonpartisan, yeah. sort of everyday, um, average, um, uh, everyday citizen stuff that concerns them. You spoke to some of those concerns. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of the issues that you talked about in this campaign in which, by the way, whatever the outcome, I mean, you got over 20,000 votes. You know, I, I consider myself a political. I ran in a primary. I lost. I got a little over 1,000. Now, that was a Republican primary. But I don't think there's a lot of people that have never gotten 20,000. You know, my good friend, John Quaglione, ran in, in, the, in, the, in the general of the city council. Even what Marty Golden and Andrew Gennardis were able to garner for each other two years ago in a Senate race was somewhere along those, those numbers. Now, it's a bigger area. Uh, it's and it's a, it was a year where there wasn't presidential, but those are phenomenal numbers. You put twenty thousand votes on the board for the Republicans in a district that the Republicans haven't uh, had a representative in in close to a hundred years, is what they're saying. So. Well, the total number of votes was more than Pamela Harris, who was a Democrat in the twenty sixteen election. That was uh record-breaking, I believe, at the time, over 20,000. So it's actually more votes than and not only any Republican in history, but any Democrat in history. And it somehow I end up losing, I guess, because the turnout is 6,000 more votes than ever before. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a, a shame that I, you know, didn't uh, end up the winner. I didn't do this for a participation trophy. I thought I could win. Uh, right from the beginning, whether other people did or didn't. And, you know, I I did a lot of it by going out there myself and speaking to the people and using social media a lot more than other uh, candidates are familiar with. And unlike, you know, people who have interns doing social media, I gave more of a personal touch to everyone, responded to people, debated with people mm -hmm. um, about the issues uh, that are out there. So I think that, you know, that resonated with a lot of people that they got to meet me personally or they spoke to me personally on social media as opposed to interns who, uh, you know, and a lot of people are fake. Like, I'm an actor. I wasn't pretending to be a politician. Like, I, you know, I could very easily pretend to be like the average politician and try to do that. But I just, you know, stayed myself. And, you know, I have a, a diverse background of all different uh, careers. So I think... Uh, I can relate to a large, you know, portion of people. And, you know, I'm not like, I, like I said, I wasn't afraid to go out there and, and talk to the issues with uh, the people. You know, you say that you really are. You're, you're an average guy, but you're a very interesting guy. Uh, you, you've had a multitude of different jobs. And I, I actually interviewed you on my YouTube channel a, close to a year ago when we were talking about I was encouraging you. You know, I always yeah. thought you'd make a great candidate because it I do was think in February right after a bail reform bill with Nicole Maliotakis that we Correct. she had a press conference uh we went there to support her and her press conference and then we had our interview immediately afterwards and we were talking about bail reform and 
you know, then, you know, you asked me about running and even though it was February of this year and the election was around the corner, I still wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. But it, after COVID and the shutdowns, I saw it as, wow, like, you know, this is going to really hurt the economy and we need somebody in there that actually know, you know, understands the economy to, to go in there and come up with creative ideas like I had with the municipal bonds to fund affordable housing and uh, not just affordable housing, but uh, I don't know who, I went into detail on the website markfriendwide.com, but I'm not sure how familiar people are with municipal bonds, but basically investors would get uh, a tax-free uh, interest on their investment with the bonds, which attracts people to municipal bonds because they're investing in the city that they live in. The problem is, you know, municipal bonds like the MTA or even the city government itself have a lower credit rating now because everyone's afraid of them failing. So the fact that these would actually be backed by the property itself, whether it's a, you know, my vision was a commercial space on the ground floor along with parking lots. Like we have a lot of lots in Coney Island that could probably be developed where you have a few levels of underground parking as well as a retail store on the first level and then the remaining floors be utilized for affordable housing. So the fact that the property would be used as collateral as well as the rental income from the commercial property as well as the residential property will be used to pay that interest during that 15-year time frame of before the bonds mature. And at that point, 15 years from now, let's say, hypothetically speaking, to use even numbers, if you have 50 million, uh, a property valued at 50 million, you take the bonds out for 100 million. So only a portion of it is secured by the property. But at the same time, that other 50 million could be used for other programs um, like let's say my after school program, but or whatever the case may be, instead of just taxing people, it's a way for the city to build generate revenue. And then eventually, 15 years from now, that property that was worth 50 million is probably worth 100 million. So you could sell the property 15 years from now and pay the par value of those bonds back to the in investors. So I, I don't know how many people followed me with that, but I mean, I outlined it as well on the website. and. I think a lot of people aren't familiar with something like that, and it's you know more of a advanced strategy. But well, you know, I think that a lot of people, while they might not um, understand all the intricacies that you're talking about in terms of you know putting investors together to help solve this problem of affordable housing, this is a very creative, smart uh, approach um, to to solve this problem. But certainly, talking about affordable housing, housing issues. Um, was a major issue across this district. You have, and it, it manifests in many different ways. So there's a housing issue, a crunch here in South Brooklyn. And what, what, what people are doing, you have illegal home conversions. That's one problem with housing. So they're redeveloping re these houses in an in illegal conversion, basically taking a one or a two family house and turning that into a, a miniature apartment of SROs. And what that does is, uh, you know, uh, creates problems all across the board in terms of city services, you know, whether it's sanitation, whether it's sewage, all kinds of issues, education, we're packing more kids into schools that were not built for. So you've got housing issues in Diker Heights and Bay Ridge. Also, we have a large public housing in Coney Island. That is a tremendous problem. A lot of the voters are talking about housing in many different aspects of the, the public housing in Coney Island. 
and some of the illegal yeah. home conversions here. And you actually offered a solution, uh, not only to provide affordable housing, to create incentive for investors, and at the end of the day, to not leave the taxpayers holding the bag yeah, because I mean, this, this you, property you, would gain in value. You already have 15-year tax abatements given for developers. So if you know these developers are profiting off of tax abatements and only utilizing a small space for affordable housing, so that would be uh, something that would be utilized. And as far as getting investors together, that's not hard. That's You get one of these major firms to underwrite uh, you know, there's something called an underwriting syndicate if there's a large uh, number of municipal bonds. But if you're talking about funding one property of 50 million, 100 million, whatever the case may be, you can, I'm not going to name drop any of the firms out there, but some of the large investment firms would have no problem selling those bonds because people are looking for safe investments now, especially now. And the, the bond rating for the MTA's municipal bonds dropped significantly, as well as, like I said, the, the city and the government. So having something that's backed by property, revenue, and the government, it would be a, a relatively new investment because you do have property-backed bonds, but not ones that are backed by all three. But also you're in the debate against my opponent, and I think that helped as well because a lot of people saw me in the debate, and I think, you know, unfortunately... Uh, New York One and other major media outlets didn't give me any type of attention whatsoever. Uh, you know, normally, this is a debate that's televised, but the one debate that I did have, uh, I did very well. And that illegal home conversion was one of the things that we mentioned. And I went back to City Council Member Vincent Gentili, who came up with the idea of uh, fining people. I don't remember whether it was 10000 or 15000 whatever the dollar amount is. That's fine that he came up with that, but it's not being enforced now. And we need it to be enforced. And we need, you know, I think if you have somebody who I, I brought up the idea of somewhat of a bounty, like if you have a, if you're finding people 15,000 and you're giving the person who reported it 5,000, you know, if you're living in one of those conditions, you're going to say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll rat out my landlord for five grand and then I could live in a, in a nice apartment. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, well, and you would get rid of that problem real quick if it's actually enforced. But I think de Blasio doesn't care, and I think yeah. the city doesn't care, and they're not actually enforcing these. So there, you could have a hotline where it's you know maybe connected directly to my office if I was in office, and yeah. we have you know try to get. Um, I I think that that issue really resonated with people. Housing and and all of the all of its manifestations and, and affordable housing yep. uh is it was a major issue in this in this campaign going into the pandemic and then certainly with the pandemic you have this new movement from people like uh, AOC this kind of cancel rent movement yep. and what's interesting is you know she may be far left wing but you have uh, Senator Gennaris from Astoria uh commenting on this you know sort of giving giving some credence to this this notion of canceling rent and and I and it's it's amazing because I think politicians really need to such as yourself with elected official or running for office really need to speak to these issues and say listen this is what the finance the you know the financial reality is behind uh, housing and, and how this is all going to work and really allow this sort of farce of cancel rent and, and yeah. what, what what people are saying is you know look the pandemic has hurt people in serious ways are unable to pay rent. That, that, that's for sure. There's lots of people that have just not paid rent for months. And certainly we don't want people evicted or out on the street. But if you cancel rent, and I know there was a study 
uh, written in the New York Times, so many landlords in New York City, a tremendous amount of them, certainly in our in our district yeah. here, are what they call small landlords. So yeah. they're they're uh, one. They have they a two, two family. Two family they, they live in one. They rent the other, and they rely on that rent for, to pay their right. mortgage. That's their in the same way a small business would function. This is their income. So these you're now hurting a working class family, or maybe even working poor. In some cases, they said the income may equal fifty thousand dollars or less for a lot of New Yorkers. That they then that's their main source of income. They take care of the house. They take care of their one two family building. Or, or maybe uh, you know three family uh, uh, house where they rent a legal apartment. That's how they make their income, and they're talking about canceling rent. So what's going to happen is, um, and so there's been some pushback on this. The the landlord's not going to be able to make their mortgage payments, not going to be able to pay the taxes, not going to be able to make the proper repairs so that people you know live uh, in in, a, in a, a properly functioning apartment, and this will have. Uh, sort of a mushrooming effect throughout the economy. And I don't think, you know, it's important. I'm glad, you know, you talked about this during your race. This idea of canceling rent isn't a solution. Maybe there is another solution, but the idea of sticking it to small, um, you know, uh, small landlords, mom and pops that are, that are renting out an apartment, that's going to hurt them as well. So you want to yeah. talk about that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, people like AOC and a lot of the far left live in a fairy tale land when it comes to economics in general. Like money just grows on trees, like just increase the minimum wage and like the no regards for inflation or common sense. Um, but I mean, that that's something we see a lot of people selling their property in New York because they're afraid of things like that. And there's there's probably a smarter way to do it. I do understand that a lot of people are behind on their rent. Obviously, you have people who are, are getting their stimulus checks and things of that nature. So some people who, you know, were getting free money this whole time don't care that people are going out of business or people can't pay their mortgage because they're fine. Uh, but at the same time, this, this, a way that would probably be smarter to do is try to negotiate with some of the banks and um, and have them come to an agreement where, you know, like if you're late on a car payment, you you know, and you have a 36 month car payment, they could put it on the back end. So, you know, it's not removing the payment, but it's putting it on the back end. So if you had 36 months left, now you have 37 months, but you don't have to pay this month. So basically you can make it where with the mortgages where, you know, the banks would try to help the people. Uh, hopefully they'll be willing to do that in the sense where their mortgage payment, let's say it's 2000 for six months and they had, you know, let's say they had 10 years, so 360 months left. So uh, let's, you know, instead of 360 months left, it'll be paid off in uh, 366 months. So you're delaying six months worth of mortgage payments to 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 give them a break. But in order for them to come to that agreement, if they have a tenant, they allow to forgive the rents at the same time, right? So, so I, and I, and I think that's the that's the interesting part is, I mean, that's what I just thought of. Yeah. But I didn't mention that in any of my campaign, but that's somebody with a brain and common sense that would try to negotiate some of these things to help people, as opposed to somebody like AOC that just says, "Oh, well, we'll just cancel, cancel rent. rent." I know they just right. they just kind of reiterate these sort of hashtags or calls to cancel rent, and like you said, there's probably some smart middle ground. No one wants to evict people. I, I'm, I'm a renter. I don't want to be evicted. 
Um, but to, the idea of, of pushing it on the backs of, let's say, a mom and pop renting, you know, uh, a, an apartment, then their income is lost too. So whether we get uh, maybe tax breaks as well for some of these small landlords and a combination of some kind of incentive to uh, to help them, whether it's like you said through their mortgage payments, through some of their property taxes, if they can pr prove that they have, uh, you know, uh, tenants that were unable to pay their bills, they can reflect that and provide some assistance from the state. But instead, you know, they, the, the state, certainly here in New York, from, from Cuomo and the Democrats that run the Senate and the Assembly, they never talk about that. They never talk about providing relief. And what they talk about is tough times ahead, which really just means, you yeah, know, big the, the Democrats always taxes. make it seem like the, the millionaires are the ones who are benefiting from these tax breaks and things of that nature, but they're the ones destroying the average mom-and-pop small business. They're the ones who are, you know, affecting the landlords, like you just said, the small, like, two-family homes that, you know, have, have people who are not paying rent and just that's the simple solution for them. So, and when they're raising property taxes on these people, who pays for it? The renters pay for it. When you raise property taxes on a, even the larger buildings, where does that pass on to? Do you think the rich guy is going to be like, oh, I guess I have less money now? No. He's going to raise the rent, whether it's 100 a month or 50 a month, in order to make up for that. Right. It's not just, uh, it's not just like it's, that's, you know, that's the end of it. Like, you know, the rich guy loses money. If he owns a store, the, the cost of the, you know, the goods are going to go up. Right. It's not, you know, people don't realize that just, you know, increasing taxes doesn't, doesn't solve the problem. And, you know, you talk about Cuomo and the Democrats, they really taken a very heavy handed approach to dealing with, uh, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, these sort of draconian lockdowns. And, and I understand that in some cases you might want to put restrictions on certain businesses. You put guidelines out there, uh, but it's as if there's no other approach except a complete shutdown of our economy. And what I don't think we're talking about is, yes, the pandemic is extremely deadly. It is not the flu. It's, it's, uh, it, well, I don't know about extremely more. deadly, mm -hmm. but, you know, when you have a over 99% survival rate, it's not like the flu. I mean, I was tagged with something that I reposted right. where it just literally just showed the math as far as death rate and, and with the flu as opposed to death rate with right. coronavirus and how they were like 0.2% off. So right. it's like the high-risk people who get the flu, they die from the flu. Right. The high-risk people that get COVID, they die from COVID. Right. Well, now, obviously, COVID yeah, it's, it's worse. It's worse than right. the flu. There's right. no question about that. But at the same time, it's not something that I think you the the cure, as, as President Trump said and many others said, mm -hmm. should be worse than the problem. Like, right. you have people who are dying from suicide because of it. Right. You have right. people who are suffering from mental health, right. severe mental health issues as a result of it. Um, and, and that's, so I guess what, what, you know, is what we're not hearing from the leaders here in New York State, our local elected officials here in Bay Ridge, or from the governor and mayor, is that these lockdowns do not exist in a vacuum. So sure, you may be able to stop the rate uh, of infection, but you're also, like you said, you're causing tr tremendous economic hardship that leads to increased suicide, increased drug abuse, increased overdoses, and all kinds of other effects that, that are related to this lockdown. And there's no also economic concern about the impact. And, you know, when we talk about health care, health care costs money. Good health care 
can 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 come from a robust economy. So when there there there's a there's a there's a stronger economy, there's more tax revenue, uh, and there there is more money, so to so to speak, to go around. You know, we can have a a a better healthcare system, and that is not even considered. We don't even talk about that. There was an article I read that also talked about malnutrition and how much money that we uh, that that's given to poor people, not only here in the United States but all around the world, that's going to be reduced in the billions and billions of dollars as a result of the uh, economic impact of all of these government shutdowns, and that's going to re- uh, lead to starvation in many cases. So maybe not a lot of us here in New York were able to to still get food, but in other places where they are just on the on on that on that borderline. Um, of poverty, of falling into serious, serious uh, poverty, that has there's health implications to that. We don't talk about that, and you did a lot. You did on your campaign, and and uh, there were a lot of people that 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 resonated with. And you want to talk about that? What people thought about the lockdown? Small business owners uh, throughout South Brooklyn. I mean, it's not even just small businesses. You see, Century Twenty One on Eighty Sixth Street. No one. I remember growing up when. Uh, one of the small businesses would go out and Century 21 would buy it out. Mark Lane's The Bowling Lane, that closed down, and Century 21 expanded on that large portion of real estate. So you have, you know, when I spoke about this with uh, Ian Smith, who was famous for opening up uh, his gym in Jersey, and he was on Fox News on multiple occasions, he, he was saying that most businesses can't supply, you know, even the larger businesses, like, for example, Century 21, can't survive without cash flow for several months. It's just not something that's that's doable. Like it's it's something that you see. Model Sporting Goods, I think, already had problems before the pandemic, but there they went under. Uh, you know, so it's not just the mom and pop shops when you talk about small businesses. It's you know businesses that would have otherwise been successful. And I think you know when it really comes down to it, we don't know if this vaccine is going to work. If that's the actual answer. You know, you have this, the, the strain mutated, so you don't know whether it's going to be exactly like the flu shot where, you know, oh, well, you still get it but because there's, there's a different strain. And we, we don't know how effective the vaccine is going to be, but is this the way we're supposed to live for the rest of our lives? These businesses aren't going to survive if that's the case. And then where, you know, the economy is going to be completely destroyed right. because, you know, we all we all were on the – I think most people were on board – with the 15 days to slow the spread. I mean, people weren't revolting because of that. But once you start, you know, realizing the numbers and the fatality rate isn't that high, you know, you have to make a choice. Now, is it, now to, to, to interrupt, isn't that high compared to the original projections? Yeah. And there was that model that came out of what was at King's College. There was a model put together that had a, a much higher rate, a death rate, that did not come to fruition. Yeah. And... Uh, you're right. People were on board for these lockdowns when it was 15, you know, 15 days, two weeks to stop the spread. And some one of the concepts, uh, uh, part of that, we have to go back in time because we sort of lost track, was that there was this idea that the that the uh, the arc of of the of the infection rate and of the possible serious cases would shoot up so rapidly it would overwhelm the hospitals. And they said, look, we've got to really shut things down to sort of slow down that infection rate. Because the hospitals cannot 
uh, take care of the people. Obviously, that has changed, right? Where the yeah. hospitals. I mean, yeah, the Javits Center wasn't utilized. The you know the the boat that came in the ship. I don't recall off the top of my head the name that Trump had sent over. <laughs> that wasn't utilized. It was at the U.S. It was, Comfort, maybe. I'm yeah, not sure yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just drawing a blank on the name, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't the overflow that they were expecting, and. And getting back to what I was going to say, though, at some point you have to say, okay, there's this virus out there. You have to make a decision whether you want to go and take that risk. I don't think there needs to be, you know, you have buildings that have people sign waivers. You have stores going through all these precautions and, you know, tracking and, you know, different, different, different businesses that have waivers. It's common knowledge at this point that COVID-19 is out there. Mm -hmm. I don't think when you go into a business, you shouldn't have to sign a waiver, you know, if you're going to get the flu or something or anything like, you know. Our our privacy is a real concern. It's true. I I think it's not even about signing. It it should be you're, you're taking the risk when you go, you know, drive a vehicle that you might get into a car accident. You're taking the risk when you go to the grocery store that you might get sick from that grocery store. So right. what, you know, and, right, what's, and, the, what's the difference between that or any other business? Like you're taking the risk. If you want to go and go to the gym, you're, you're going to, you're deciding yourself that you right. think that your physical, you know, the physical and mental health benefits that you get from going to the gym right. outweigh the risk of the possibility of you getting a virus with a 99% survival rate. Right. And we see, you know, obesity and things of that nature are a contributing factor. But meanwhile, the gyms are closed down. So right. it's like, you know, and that also attributes to the mental health aspect right. because gym isn't just about getting bulk. Right. This is not this has not been healthy for us in other ways. Now, you might even make, be able to make the argument. Again, the science isn't completely out there in terms of how exactly the lockdowns work. This has not been done ever before in history. And in the well, past, I think other countries are doing well, like Sweden, without with no lockdowns, and other states like South Dakota right, are doing some of well without. Countries you know, did try some. I mean, South they're not Dakota. they're Florida. not as as broadly populated as New York City, but Florida. I mean, Florida has some big cities as well, and they right. didn't, you know. They and de- density is important, and I yeah. know that that uh, we talk about that, but there are epidemiologists that have come out and sort of criticized this approach. And what I've I've said, and I, I know you've said, is look. It's important to listen to all the voices. We talk about the science, but, you know, Governor Cuomo is not a medical doctor. He's not an epidemiologist. And a lot of the people um, that we hear from are also not scientists or not doctors. Some some of them are. But there are multiple different voices here. And I think one of the things that we're going to learn from this, and you can speak to that, is maybe we need to have also economists come in and talk about not only how this is going to affect the economy, but how the economy then in turn plays into our healthcare in general. You know, so when we destroy the economy, it's not just, we're not just talking about money or jobs. People say, well, lives are more important. And I think what, what's important to say is that's right, but your your healthcare and lives are connected to your economy. Well, a you know. large portion of, you know, a lot of people get their healthcare from the their jobs job. that they have. And if they don't have a job and that business is out of business, then they're not going to have healthcare unless they go and apply for Medicaid, which the government provides. But how is the government going to, be able to afford to provide all this extra health coverage to right. people that don't. So now you have right, right. So that's the other thing. And people aren't even right. people aren't even going to the doctor because they're afraid to go to the doctor. And right. you see a, a million over a million people, women didn't get their mammograms, which we heard about in Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, right. which I wanted to speak about as well. And you know, it's not just 
breast cancer, your colonoscopy or anything that you want to get checked out if you have a pain or, you know, you're, you're going to not go and, and, and check out to see if you have cancer, which is far deadlier than COVID. And if you early detection could save your life, but instead you're not doing that because you're afraid of a virus with a 99% survival rate. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's a problem too. Well, look, I, I, um, I think it was great to hear you have some really smart um, ideas on how to get us out of this trouble, uh, whether it's uh, some of the issues related to the pandemic, the economic implications, some of these housing concerns. You talked about very interesting ways um, to bring investors to help solve some of these problems. You also talked about education. You talked about a lot of great stuff, and you're still talking about it, and I think that's, uh, that's really good. Um, but you were attacked. You know, let's talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. They uh, they came at you uh, with all this conspiracy theory stuff, sort of, you know, stuff I had never heard talking to you before. Uh, and uh, I found it I found it bizarre. I've never in, in my, you know, in my experience of politics witnessed worse attacks after the victory. You know, you were poised here uh, on the precipice of, of taking office. And all of a sudden these attacks come out of nowhere. Your opponent in one point had said Mickey Mouse could have could have won had they put Mickey Mouse on thing. And I thought to myself, boy, isn't that an indictment on her? I mean, you yeah. know, if if I'm if, you know the assembly person and Mickey Mouse could beat me, what the hell does that say about Frontus? Well some people like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Mickey Mouse almost beat you. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So well, I mean, look, if, the for, for, does, if the assembly is an entertainer, you've got a yeah. I don't know if that was future. my best Mickey Mouse impression, but I try to wing something there. I do impressions too, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here all night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was good, but it does it makes you laugh because they really, you know, not only that those kind of comments, but you know, this QAnon crazy stuff. I, you know, I know that you you put you had reposted some stuff. Um, on Instagram that feeds to your, your Facebook, and they developed this whole narrative. Now, you know, some of these posts were from July. And what's interesting is had they had an issue with it, they could have said something in July. They could have said, but but they didn't. They dug through your past. They dug through social media posts. And this is what the left does. It's also what the left does here in Bay Ridge, here in South Brooklyn. You know, they find a screenshot. They, do a, they did it to Marty Golden. They did it to Vito Bruno. They did it to me. They've done it to... Uh, John Quaglione, they do it to Republicans. They get a screenshot, they take it out of context, they feed it to the media. They call it astroturfing, you know? They get a one person to write about it, and then this whole, you know, the media, media cycle picks it up, picks it up and, and writes the creates this caricature. And um, it's really sad, you know? And, and what's interesting is that, you know, they talk about these things. They sort of try to uh, tar you, try to demean you, to caricature you, and we just spent, you know, thirty minutes here in this show talking about some really important uh, issues that people have concerns about. COVID nineteen. How are we going to get through this? What smart policy can we use so that we don't completely destroy the economy? We keep people safe. How do we deal with these issues of affordable housing, illegal home conversions? You've got some really great ideas, and I was out there uh, in the streets with you talking to all the voters about these issues. These are the things that came up. These are the things that resonated with people. None of this bizarre world stuff that they're talking about, that they've characterized you. And it's sad because the people outside of our community that read this in New York City, or now it's some of this has made national news because Global. you sort of, yeah, you've pulled out. Yeah, we had Tokyo News calling you. 
you know, you've seemingly done something um, almost impossible. And so they all want to know what it is. And the left, I think, has been embarrassed. They've got egg on their face. How did we do this? How did you pull this off as a Republican? So they, they tarnish you. You know, the other thing you mentioned was the debate. I think you did a great job. I can't tell you how many people uh, in the community reached out to me through a Facebook instant message, uh, called me, texted me, and told me what a great job you did in that uh, uh, televised or, you know, it was an online was, debate. Yeah, because no one YouTube, unfortunately. But. You, you talked about these everyday issues uh, that concern the average voter. It was a lot of it was nonpartisan. You were smart and intelligent. There was no conspiracy theories discussed. Yeah, well, and I'm pretty sure not, the QAnon wasn't on the debate yeah, list. No, it wasn't. And uh, however, your opponent was going on about a lot of the identity politics that are that are very divisive. It seems like what they really held on to uh, throughout this presidential campaign and here locally, sort of like if you're a Republican, you don't even discuss ideas. You're queuing on, you're crazy, you're racist. Everyone is that's a Republican is a racist. And they just try to really silence you in that way. They don't want to hear you talk or have citizens and voters hear you talk, which I think they 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 tried their best. Now look, people heard heard you and they voted in, in overwhelming in overwhelming numbers for you. But talk to that a little bit. I mean, you know, this this idea of identity politics, your opponent mentioned it, and and even Democrats privately told me they were they thought she did a horrible job. And I think that's one of the other reasons uh, why you did as well as you did. So many Democrats crossed over. And I want to mention that as well. You know, no matter whether they say it's QAnon, Proud Boys, Race, whatever is the is the label of the of the day, they threw at you. Um, they threw they throw at Republicans, they threw at Vito Bruno, uh, they threw at Nicole Maliotakis, they threw at Tenusis, they threw at the president, um, and they just throw it whatever they throw, hoping something will stick. However, whether it was the president, whether it was Nicole, Vito, or yourself, especially, because um, in, in Coney Island, you didn't have Nicole. There was no overlap with Nicole or Vito Bruno running for Senate, Nicole Malatakis running for Congress. That was you and Trump uh, together in Coney Island. You did phenomenally, did a lot better than any Republican had ever done. And people will say, well, it's only 30% or 20%. Well, if that's up from 5% or 6%, you've you know, done better than a hundred percent increase in terms of vote share within the minority community, and the same with the president. So these are big gains, and they fly in the face of all the accusations, you know, of of being against their interests, of being a racist or QAnon, whatever these labels are. You did very well. Well, first of all, they they were saying the area of Coney Island hasn't had a Republican in a hundred years. Well. How is that going for them? How is that going with the NYCHA housing over there? We talked about housing before. I mean, that's on a city level, not on a state level. I had another idea of maybe having an increase in rent in, in the in the NYCHA, but with the only as an option for a rent-to-own possibility where they could pay a little bit more rent, but after X amount of years, they own it. And that extra increase could go towards some renovations or having regular maintenance people there because they're constantly going without heat and and you know all these other issues in those NYCHA houses those are you know horrible living conditions in some cases if you're going without heat during the winter and they're calling the city and not getting any response and they've been voting Democrat this whole time yeah. and the Democrats don't do anything they don't care and you know you were the only persons I've heard talk about that in a long time or ever running in Coney Island in terms of giving an option for people to own 
these apartments to transfer this from public housing into having these people own. We talk about a lot about equity. Equity uh, and empowerment is a big word that the left uses. But what is more empowering than owning this own property, you know, uh, creating value, creating wealth that they could then on pass on to their children. They could rent and, and develop an income based on, on this and increase the, the, the property value. Now, some of this property is really beachfront property. This is yeah. maybe, you know, um, something that could be developed by people that are interested in it. And no one's talking about that. And, you know, NYCHA is a faceless bureaucracy, like you said. It, it just lets people live in dilapidated conditions. Nothing ever changes. And here you have a solution. I think it resonated. I remember I'm looking at the numbers on election night and hundreds and hundreds of people were coming out and voting for you per election district. And for those people that don't know, that's yeah. building per building or block by block. It's it's the smallest unit. And we were seeing numbers for Republicans uh, that we've never seen. Yeah, and, and getting back to the... I think you asked the question about the attacks, and I saw the identity politics is is really a problem with Democrats. Like you shouldn't vote for somebody because of their race or their gender, and they're the white man beats the black female, and it's like you know when I was originally the you know expected to win, and it's like you know that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the issue. Like we shouldn't vote for somebody based on their race or. Or sex, or it, it it should be about the issues, and I think a lot of people did vote for me not because I'm a white male or you know I have an Eastern European sounding name. They voted for me because they're afraid of America turning into a communist country. They're afraid of uh uh you know their small you know the economy being destroyed. They're they're afraid of the rise in crime due to the bail reform bill. And they, you know, the people that I spoke to, I haven't, I didn't speak to a single person after talking about my nonpartisan ideas that said they're not going to vote for me. Mm-hmm. All of them were excited to vote for me because of the ideas that I had. Mm-hmm. So, and QAnon had nothing to do with it. I know that you, that you, you, you asked the question, but you asked it within a bulk of questions. And back in July was when I, I was first hearing about QAnon. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is, uh. Let me repost it and, you know, see what people say about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's social media. It's not, you know, it's not a, 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 a that's a, you, you want to get attention. You want to get likes and shares and followers. And you, you post something that I thought was interesting. Right. And or, I wanted or, to hear what, what people said about you it. Know, I, you know, you pointed out you used to hashtag BLM. You used yeah, to hashtag I use hashtag Antifa. That right. doesn't mean that I support right. Antifa. Right. I, I, I will tag. AOC, or I might use the hashtag uh, AOC or Antifa if I'm trying to uh, retweet something or repost something. Or the, the the conversation is about those topics. That's what you might yeah. want to use. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've known you for close to 25 years. We were um, we were on the track team together. We like to joke that, that was about 200 pounds ago. Yep. You know, but we were we were on the track team. Um, I've never heard you talk about conspiracy theories. I was your campaign manager. We talked a lot about different strategies, uh, about you know how we how to get out the vote, some of the some of the topics that you were going to discuss in any particular um, venue. Never once, uh, never once. I like I said, I don't even know where you would go to find these yeah. QAnon conspiracies. Yeah, that's how they painted you. Yeah, uh, and 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 you know none of the other stuff that you talked about. Now we had done an interview. 
There's a video of you at the debate. You, I think you did phenomenal. There are um, multiple news reports, and they didn't go to that. Or, you know, all the interviews you've done throughout the years, they could have gone back to that to get some of your ideas instead. And, and what this really is, is not just the reporters. These are yeah. Democratic operatives. Even if I didn't post QAnon, they would try to say something about me, whether it's true or false, to try to make me look bad. And that's the reality of what they do. And I mentioned it in the concession speech that I'm proud that I didn't result to character assassination. I didn't talk about what was wrong with my opponent, how she had staff issues and couldn't hold on to her staff because people didn't know her and didn't like her. And I didn't talk about how some of the people, most of the people didn't know who she is that I spoke to, uh, you know, and that's not an insult necessarily to her. It's just a lot of people aren't familiar with their local politicians. The ones that did know her, you know, said that they don't like her. That when they spoke to her, she acted like she was on a high horse, like right. she was like they were beneath her. No, I, so, I, I, I didn't I, mention any of this. No, I know. I didn't mention that she went and tried to get a think tank for a hundred thousand that wasn't in existence early in her campaign. Right. I didn't mention the fact that she didn't write a bill in two years. Right. Like I have all these ideas now as a candidate. Not she just really, look, and I, I, I'm not you, so I can tell you how I honestly feel and say, look. She has really been an, sort of an abysmal failure in terms of her representative. From a legislative standpoint, nothing of, of, you know, of, of, of any substance has come out of her office you know, in terms of trying to pass real legislation. That's one thing. And she's in the majority. Yeah. You, you, you've had plans, possibly being a minority, with real plans to cooperate with Democrats in some cases, or at least use your office as a bully pulpit to get some things across. But even on a local level. You know, and I have actually talked to some people, I won't mention their names, but people I know personally from other walks of life, um, Democrats that have worked for her, that could not stand working for her, that had left her office. And that, some of that's been documented, that, you know, she's had such a tremendous amount of turnover. And when people come in and out of your office, you're really unable to serve the people. You know, uh, it takes a while for a staff sometimes to get acclimated to what, so you know, doing the social work that is required for a local politician, helping fill the potholes solve people's problems. And when your office is, you know, close half the time, you don't have regular people showing up at meetings, you're not getting that feedback, you're having all these internal um, personality problems, that is that is a real problem. And it, and it, the last two years, you haven't really seen her presence. And you're right. And we didn't, we didn't go out there and say this in the campaign, but it is the truth. And we're talking about it now because it's really not right the kind of the way they came out against you. And the reality is, so many people didn't even know who she was, you know, and I think that's a big part of this is not only uh, uh, how well we did, but a part of it has to be talked about how how bad they failed, you know. Yeah. She also, now you raised a, a small amount of money. Part of that was you, you knew that your GOTV was going to be sort of handled by the turnout with the president with Nicole Malley Attackus. And, you figured, and also, I, you know, I, some of the volunteers that I had spoke to the people in Coney Island, and he, they're debating Trump with that person. And I, I stop and I say, listen, I don't want to debate Trump. If they're, they don't like Trump, I don't want to talk to them about Trump. That's not, that's not the local issues. I want them to vote for me, and I want them to vote for me because of this. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like the volunteers aren't as familiar with the issues. They won't have the same effect. I realized I needed to go out personally or on social media and and speak to people voters directly, and that's that's the best way to win. If I raised more money and I hired more staffers to go out there, obviously the money would have helped, and maybe I would have won if more people voted. But they, you know, I use the slang saying 
uh, the name with all the Z's in it, but I won't sleep on the job like other politicians. Right. Well, they apparently slept on me when it came to the race, and you know they almost uh, got completely shocked. They did get shocked, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like the end result was that. But I, I you know, I think um, they really did. You know, they she only raised about twenty thousand dollars. Now she raised more, more, more than you, but of course she's in the majority. Ten times the amount. Of Ten times the amount, but right. still, even considering. The people that came out of the woodwork to attack you um, from the you know the local the Bay Ridge Democrats, some of the, the the leftists down here in South Brooklyn, really could have done a lot more you know by helping her raise money or being more active in their campaign. They really weren't. You know, it's only when the threat of a Republican uh, becomes a reality that they woke up and started attacking, and and it, and it really goes to show really how embarrassed they probably are. And I would have even been okay if they attacked me back in July when those, you know, those those things came up on social media because, I, you know, maybe it would have brought more attention to who I was and maybe some people would do research on, on the ideas. But, you know, as I told other people, they won't mention me until I win. And that's why I didn't have a debate on New York One like I probably should have. And that's why the media didn't give me any attention whatsoever until I won because they were hoping that I would go away. And the yeah. banks, the banks and the developers don't like my ideas. Right, right. And the strategy, I think, is they're controlled by a lot of the special interests. The, the, the you know, they say that they're for the working people down here, but the far left is really uh, corporate controlled nowadays. It really is, even here locally. And they did. They tried to silence you. They try to silence people on the right, and they do that by ignoring you not uh, engaging in debates, not agreeing to do these debates, and putting pressure on some of the other uh, big-name venues, maybe it's New York One or some of the other newspapers, to not even hold a debate. And what that does is they think they're silencing you. But you you, you were able to kind of get around that. You talk to people directly. You use social media. And you just went physically to certain areas and, and, and were able to get your message out doing what they say, lit drops. You must have dropped thousands and thousands of people of literature at people's doors, um, it's sort of a kind of a stealth campaign. You know, people don't see what's happening, but it's resonating and it's hitting thousands and thousands of voters because you're literally just putting the material uh, into the into the, the the doorstep. Yeah, I mean, I I figured that's the best the best approach, but I mean, at the same time, it's it's disturbing because even if I did lose, if you wanted to reach out to me about these ideas. I would have been okay with that. I did this to help the community, win or lose. And now you have this where she goes out and publicly says, oh, he's using these hashtags as codes to his followers. I'm like, that sounds crazy to me. Like, that's not hashtags or codes now. Right, right, right. Like, it seems, it seems like. It sounds, you know, that's. That sounds crazy. That is, that. that's the kind of nutty stuff that, that belongs in the QAnon. You know, this yeah. idea that there's Morse code or some yeah. secret code that you're communicating. We're communicating. You know, and that, and I think that they're really so out of touch, to be quite honest. Um, so many voters came out um, resounding re re rebuke to, to what she's done over the last two years, and they still fantasize for the for the answer for the, that. The other thing is she got, there was a local Bay Ridge uh, Queen of the Click and and others, you know, she put out that Frontis was there during the pandemic handing out food and PPE to people. And it's like, okay, so somebody that works for Postmates or Seamless is qualified to be a legislator because they could deliver food? Right. Like, I mean, 
Yeah, obviously, most politicians were doing that, right. and that that looks good on camera and everything. But that's legislators policy, are supposed right. to have nothing to do with policy. Right. I could do that. That's right. then anybody. And you have done that. You've yeah. you've, you've done a, a tremendous amount of uh, volunteer work, charity work. You've raised thousands upon thousands of dollars for multiple charities. So have I for homeless veterans. I have volunteered, especially during Hurricane Sandy. But you're right. In and of itself, you know, it's a nice thing to do, but that does not translate into policy. You know, yeah. and, they, and they think that taking a photo of, uh, you know, handing handing over. I remember the most recent thing was one laptop. And look, yeah. I'm not going to say one. That laptop was post election. Post election. And look, I don't want one laptop is fine. It's better than none. But you know, they take a photo up and say you didn't do anything. But meanwhile, you were trying to negotiate entire after school programs. With, you know, you took one laptop, you were talking about thousands, hundreds of computers, if not thousands of computers for local schools, developing an after-school program based around uh, engineering, um, developing code, video games to help to, uh, to help um, uh, these students, uh, building video games, designing video games. And I had people that were there to help with the funding, right. like, as of election night. Right. And uh, as well as uh, ideas as far as getting the... You know, a farmer's market to Coney Island, right. you know, right. and, and, but and the healthy right. food the, for right. EBT the, people. The, the criticism is, you know, you didn't come help sweep Fifth Avenue uh, one day, you know, and, and these are, like you said, these and are the, At the same ops. time, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like the community board meetings that are normally in the community at certain times that you'd walk into, those aren't there for COVID. So unless you already knew these people to get in on these right. meetings... And they did, this is a tactic that the left uses. They'll do this photo op and they'll say, so and so wasn't here. Let's say it's a rally against some, 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 uh, or yeah, a rally were they some invited? Right. But they'll say, you didn't show up. Da, 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 and then, and try to paint you as someone that might not support the issue. It's ridiculous. But this again goes to their tactics. These tactics were thrown at you. You talked about the issues, the real issues. You did a great job of the debate. It looks like today you may fall just short, and we didn't have time to talk about some of the irregularities with the ballots. We'll talk about that maybe next time in an upcoming election. We we still don't even know, right? There were so many ballots that came in after the fact. There were thousands of ballots that were mailed twice, and people don't even realize that yet. And those are all scannable ballots, too. Right, so, so they're that's all a receiving. other topic, and maybe what we'll do is we'll have a show based on uh, what happened here in, in South Brooklyn, where Two sets of ballots were sent out. That was a fault by the vendor that the Board of Elections hired, um, in some cases, and people sent back two ballots um, and voted twice. And then it was up to the board or even our campaign sometimes to try and figure out who voted twice. I know that sounds crazy to people, but that's really the case. Or three times. Or three times they voted on, on election day. And the board is supposed to have a procedure in place. But again, this was an unprecedented election. One, because you had so many people voting by mail because of the pandemic. Uh, so you have all kinds of, of, of possible mistakes going on. And then, you know, a forced error by the vendor, the Board of Elections hired to mail two sets of ballots. So that may sound crazy to people, but it's true. So in, in your case, while you may have fell a few hundred votes shy, this may go into extra innings. We don't know, but but it looks as if you're you're not going to... Uh, yeah. To pull it off this time, well, did a great one, job. one way or the other, I'm going to be investigating this, and people want to go and say conspiracy theory, whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why they tag me QAnon because mm -hmm. if the election gets stolen from me, if I say anything, I'm just a crazy conspiracy theorist. But even if I find ten 
cases of fraud mm -hmm. and hopefully prosecute some of these cases. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping it sends a message, you know, for people to think twice about doing it again. Well, I hope you do. And I hope that a lot of these problems are investigated. You know, there's a, there's been a lot of irregularities, a lot of things we just don't even understand about this process. And I hope that by, by digging a little deeper, you bring light to what's going on with these mail-in ballots. Again, this is, we're also trying to change the entire way that people vote. It's like the Board of Elections is built to have millions of people, let's say, vote uh, per year for whatever amount of elections uh, will, will take place in person. They're not designed, right? They don't have the capacity, and yet they changed, right? They tried their best to, to, uh, to, to adapt, and I think you saw all these problems. So by all means, let's, let's address that at a, uh, another, another, I hope you come back and let's talk about that, because I think that's a very interesting Topic, hopefully I'll have some evidence when I come back, but even if I you know, don't uncover anything, at least people can get a better understanding of the process. I'm, I'm somewhat of a, I was a poll site coordinator, so I understood mm -hmm. a certain aspect of how hard it is to commit fraud on the in-person side, but with these absentee ballots, now I have a, a better understanding from that aspect of the entire process. So. Well, listen, it's, it's been great talking to you. It was great to kind of recap the election. I'm sorry it turned out the way it did, but you are a, a great candidate. You did a great job, and you're really just a fascinating guy. You are a true Bay Ridgeinal, right? A Bay Ridge guy there you go. Who, uh, who wears all different kinds of hats. Um, and, you know, that's what this, this, uh, this podcast is all about. It's all about the interesting people. It's all about the everyday average folks that really make this neighborhood cool and Look, we'll, we're going to put have guests on here from all over the world, um, but Bay Ridge is a great starting place, and it's really got a great cross-section. You, in and of yourself, are a great cross-section. You've done so many different things, and you know, we're getting to the end of the show. We don't have uh, too much time to talk about that, but just to mention a few, you were a truck driver. You were a financial service advisor. You were a stockbroker. Right out of high school, you became a stockbroker, got your Series 7. Um, you have uh, had your own TV show, cable TV show, sports talk. What are some of the other things you've done? Uh, real estate salesperson. Um, I think you cover the bulk of it, retail sales. Now, what's the word for this, that they, uh, a pantologist? Well, pantologist, yeah. It's not the study of pants. It's just that. <laughs> no, they've got, I know, they've, they've attacked you. They, you know, they, 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 on Twitter, you know, <coughs> you really have, uh, they've, um, you know, you rent they you rent space in their head. They say rent free. You know, you have really gotten under their skin. I they they great. think they got under my skin for, uh, with the Q and on nonsense. But if I cared what the liberal media thought, I'd probably be a liberal. I stopped yeah. caring what the New York Times and no, Daily News said a long it, time ago. It was great. It was a great race. You did a great job. I'm so glad you got under their skin and pissed them off. I hope we haven't seen the last of you. Any plans for the future? I hope you run again. You know, maybe city council, maybe. Again, for the assembly, this could be the beginning of uh, the assembly race part two. Definitely, the rematch. The rematch. I hope we see it. Pay-per-view um, not required. Just oh, are we going to see a Coming rematch? to a voting booth near you. Well, are we going to see a rematch? Uh, I think it's a good possibility. I mean, if she implements the ideas that I put out there and actually does her job, then I won't need to. But uh, I don't think she's going to do that, so... If she doesn't, then she'll be seeing me again in two years. Well, Mark, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for coming on the show. I hope to have you again. We want to talk about possible uh, 
election irregularities and all the other stuff that went on. There's so much to talk about, but we only have so much time per show. Um, episode two, Bay Originals. Glad you could make it. Yep. Markforny.com if you want to know more about my other ideas. Okay. And finaltakes.com if you want to see my TV show, including with Liam. You got that. All right, Mark. Talk to you later. This has been another episode of Bay Originals. Come back again and uh, hear our next guest. Thanks for listening.